I actually wanted to pray uh, for uh, all the ladies that are up north. We got over 50 women enjoying the nice, calm, relaxing um, northern air this morning. So I wanted to pray for them, pray for the service, and then we will jump into scripture. God, thank you for um, just what you're doing and what you've created in, in your church that's founded on Christ. God, I pray for every single woman that's up north right now, whether they're a mom, a wife, a college student, single, dating, um, just an employee, whatever it may be, God, I pray that this time would have been um, glorifying to you, that this would be a time where you take each of those women into a deeper, more intimate relationship of you, um, bringing immense glory to your son, Jesus Christ. And that, God, I pray for the families that um, have been behind, uh, that have been back. I pray that the time was good. I pray that the dads had a good time with their kids. And I pray that this would be uh, something that they would remember and, and not only see the value of a, a, a partnership, a team, uh, the way it works when a husband and wife uh, love you and, and raise a family together, but God, that this would just be um, something that takes root and, and kind of just seeps into this entire community. For those that weren't able to go, God, I pray that you would still do a mighty work in their hearts, and I pray that um, as we hear what you've done and, and how you spoke, God, I pray that it would just bring glory to you. God, for the word today, I pray that this would be... Um, a set of scripture that we wouldn't just uh, listen to and hear or check out on or, or as difficult as it may be to hear, God, I pray that we would um, allow you to work in our hearts. So I pray for the distractions, maybe the, the tiredness that some are feeling or uh, the pain that they've been going through, maybe the, uh, the chaos that is Facebook and the political system right now. God, I pray that whatever is uh, distracting, God, I pray that you would just remove that distraction. You would uh, open our eyes and our hearts to hear from you and you alone. God, may I get out of the way and just be a vessel of what you want to do for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have, have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Ephesians um, chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. Um, if you would rather look on your uh, phone, that's totally fine too. Uh, we also have some extra seats up here just so you guys know. Um, chapter two, verse one is where we're gonna begin. Uh, real quickly, uh, we ended last week with the idea of um, the Apostle Paul encouraging us to pray and spend time in prayer and working through um, what it means to, to follow God with his power and his strength through the Holy Spirit that was gifted to us. And Paul comes into this, uh, this next chapter. This is a pretty well-known chapter. If you've spent any time in the, in the church, you've, you've heard this scripture, you've, you've, you've listened to this scripture, you've read this scripture, and you've probably been taught on it. It's also one of those scriptures that can be tend, tend to be fairly controversial. But before we, before we get there, I want to I kind of go through a couple sayings. You've, uh, this is kind of interactive. So if you've heard this uh, saying, I want you to finish it. You, you never truly appreciate what you have until it's gone. Okay, so we know that one. That's good. Um, um, that's actually the only one I had, sorry. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, no. Uh, I wanted to talk about a, a, a statement or a, a saying that maybe we haven't heard before, and it's that, um, it's that you can't truly appreciate what you have unless you remember what you didn't have. And, and maybe that's just a, a reiteration or a version of that very same thing, but, but I think that's what the Apostle Paul's doing in the Scripture in this section right here. Is he's, he's, he's challenging it in a very encouraging and beautiful way um, the church of Ephesus to, to remember the state of where they were prior. And we have to remember one thing that's, that's overarching that, that continues to come through this book of Ephesians is, it, well, two things. First off, the Apostle Paul is, 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 is kind of word doctoring this us in there. 
He's saying us, us, us. Remember, Ephesus was a, a mostly predominantly Gentile place. Paul was a Jewish man. And so there was this huge, huge like understanding and upbringing that kind of happened in that day where the Jews were God's chosen people, the Gentiles weren't. And so the Apostle Paul, since he's been commissioned by Jesus Christ, he was commissioned to bring the word of, of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And so in this set of scripture, in just the first chapter, we've seen the Apostle Paul use the word us, us, us. And so he's, he's, he's melding, he's bleeding the lines of you and me, Jew and Gentile, and he's bleeding them. And then there's a couple times where he's, he's spoken in, in light of them, saying for the Jews, yes, but then also for the Gentiles. So he's, he's making it very clear that there's an us thing. The second thing that we have to understand is, and it is important, is that um, these, these believers in, in Ephesus were, were struggling to kind of take root in their identity of Jesus Christ. So not only is there this Gentile Jew thing, but there's kind of this bleeding into the, to, to most Gentiles in this day that they're not worthy of, of Christ. I mean, they're just kind of the second tier believers. And so because of that, they, they then... Um, strive to do things. So we, we saw last week that they were doing a great job at loving each other in, in a really beautiful way. And they, they, they had faith in Christ and that was what the Apostle Paul commended them for and saying you have the faith in Jesus Christ. And that's no different from the faith in Jesus Christ that the Jewish person has. And so he's kind of trying to level the playing field. Well, this week he, he levels it in a, in a really interesting way. He kind of takes them back to, to what it was like before Christ. And so what I want to do with you guys is, is, is for those of you, most of you, I'm assuming, have a, a relationship with Jesus. I'm sure there are some here that don't. I'm sure there are some that think they do, but they really, really haven't grasped or, or surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. But, but I, want to, I want to take you kind of, kind of, if you can, just go with me on a little journey. Take yourself back to before Jesus Christ. So whether it was, you know, when you were really young at a youth camp or it was a, a week ago, before Jesus Christ. So when you were living your life, whether it was in high school or junior high, it doesn't matter, college, maybe you're still in that spot. Those of you that, that, that profess to follow Jesus today, that he is your Lord and Savior, do you feel like, I want to know this, do you feel like, just, just, just lay this out, don't even answer this out loud, just kind of in your head, do you feel like, you deserve God's grace. Knowing who you were prior to God. Do you, do you feel like you deserve that? Maybe, maybe let's, let's think about it this way. Can you think of someone that, that is following Jesus now? Like this has happened to me whenever I've gone to, you know, my two-year reunion because I've only been out of high school for a couple years. But um, when, <laughs> when, when you go back, one of, the, one of the funniest things was people are like, wait, you're, you're a pastor, Brent? Like, yeah, yeah, I did some changes has happened. Just a few in my life. But I can think back even before Christ, I can think of individuals that were, were my friends, that I wasn't as bad as them. Right? Like, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't as bad as them. And my bet is that you can right now, you can think of a guy or a girl or someone you grew up with, or maybe it's a family member, you're like, man, I didn't at least go off that deep end. Right? Like, I went off this deep end, but I didn't, like, go in the deep, deep, deep end. Like, I wasn't out in the ocean swimming. I maybe just went a little too far into the deep end of the pool. And so we can't help but think in ourselves there's these hierarchies of systems of whether or not we were good or bad. And, and it's pretty easy. Like, our society helps us. Like, you, you commit murder, well, you're a murderer. Like, most of us in here probably haven't committed murder, at least the way that our legal system 
would declare it. Jesus would push on us in our anger in that, but that's a whole other topic. But we, we, we kind of we lay ourselves out. Now, what happens is that if we're not careful, that bleeds into those of us that are following Christ. And what may be masked as discernment or, or healthy confrontation, it actually gets worked into judgment and an unhealthy judgment and a self-righteousness and a pride and an arrogance where you see someone do something and you go, well, I don't do that, so I must be holier than them. And that bleeds across race, across social economic status across age like that just that just bleeds but we don't even have it like they did then with gentile and jew that was such a polarizing it was almost it was it was blatantly obvious physically by what they wore and where they're at like it was just obvious the difference that, that was there and so what happens is if we don't understand kind of what we didn't have in christ I don't think we really see the value of what we have in Christ. And I, I kind of think that's where the Apostle Paul's going. So let's, let's look at the scripture a little bit. And, and, and hopefully what we come from today isn't, isn't just um, maybe some sadness, but actually some understanding of what God has done for us, those of us that are in Christ. Verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 2. And you, now this is you, I want to be really clear. This you is not a individual you, Gentile you. This is you to what he's talking to all the saints in Ephesus again. And so this is the same thing that at the very beginning we saw that his letter was to, the, to Ephesus and the surrounding areas. This is a you that includes every single person. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That word walk is better translated meandered. I love that. I didn't realize that. That was something new to me. So when you're walking somewhere, it's like I'm on a walk to go somewhere. I have a purpose. If you're meandering, you're just kind of moving around. You're not really going anywhere, and it's just kind of, well, looks like I'm going to go this way. If you've spent any time around a toddler, they're amazing at meandering, right? Like they're just incredible at that. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It seems like the Apostle Paul, this is one really long sentence again. It seems like the Apostle Paul sends us from this euphoric, beautiful in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, all through the first chapter. We're like, oh, this is who we are in Christ. This is what we gain in Jesus. And he just turns this really kind of sobering, like turn on the road. He's like, hey, and just so you know, you, you were meandering. The course is actually following, it's, 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 like, it's like saying shifting with the wind. Where the world goes, we just kind of shift. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I don't think it's pretty hard for us to see how this is applicable today. Culture shifts and we start seeing that seep its way into the church and it starts shifting in unhealthy ways, if not careful. And so he's saying you were doing this. He says we were all dead following the, the prince of the air. This is, this is a reference to the spirit of the power of, of Satan on this world. And he's saying that every single one of us was following him, was meandering along to the world's cares, choosing the flesh and the desires that we have and just giving way to him. And so he, he sets out this kind of doom and gloom picture. It's like, man, we... Wait, all of us are doing this? 
So I want to I take us back just a little bit, just, just a few books to the very first book of the Bible, okay? If you remember and you spend any time in the church, this God creates this earth and it does this beautiful thing and, and everything is good and then he creates Adam and out of Adam he creates Eve and it's just this beautiful, beautiful thing. This garden experience, the way that God created it was perfect. And then the sin of, of, of disobeying God enters into the world. And we see in, in, in Romans 5, 12, that Apostle Paul, when he's talking about not only are we righteous in Christ, he comes in and says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, talking about Adam, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So he's making the point that all of those that are in Christ can be righteous by one man, and that's Jesus Christ. Similar, the way that we're all under sin by one man, Adam. That's why, that's why Jesus can be called the second Adam. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It's like, thanks, Apostle Paul. Well, he's quoting Psalm 43. And so there's this, this bleak picture that because of sin entering into the world, the garden, Adam and Eve are, are, are led out of the garden and, and perfect is gone. And then it's, it's through pain and toil and, and what we experience in the world the rest of the way it is today. And sin comes and comes and comes. Now, I want you to think back to that person you were before Christ. Okay? Can anyone raise their hand and say, you never did one thing sinfully selfish? No. So, by that definition, you've sinned. You are a sinner. And that needs to be paid for. Well, well the Jews, for, for many years, uh, children, of, of descendants of Abraham worked their way through the sacrificial system of, of creating this perfect and unspotted lamb and sacrificing them to create themselves atonement for their sins. Well, fast forward to Jesus Christ, which is where we are, which is what the Apostle Paul's bleeding and pleading for the, the, the believers in Ephesus, is that we have the atonement for our sins. It's in Jesus Christ. You don't need the system that we have. You don't need the temple the way that it's been set up. That's, that's no longer there. The veil is torn. You're free and you have this. But to really, really, really sink your teeth into that, you have to understand just how horrible you are. I've shared this story before and I've had um, friends that have literally told me it's hard for them to like me after sharing the story. So I'm going to share it again because I think it helps. Um, when I was in, in high school, there was a kid that I grew up with. His, his name was Doug. He was a great dude, one of the nicest guys ever. And I was literally in elementary school, junior high with him, high school with him, like went all the way through every single year together with him. He lived just really close to my neighborhood. He was a, 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 um, being raised by his grandparents, and he was a very, very heavy set boy, the sweetest, nicest guy in the world. Well, I, in, in junior high and high school, realized that, that popularity was more important to me than anything else. And so being cool and picking on people was, was kind of my idea of, of how to establish myself as, a, as, a, as an awesome person, right? Believe the lie that, that the world tells me that you have to be popular to fit in. You have to do these things. And so I remember we were playing dodgeball back in the day when you played them with the real balls, you know? Like the, the boom, like you could hear the sound when people hit. <laughs> it's like you all know that sound, right? It just happens. And we were playing dodgeball, and, and Doug, because of his size and everything, he would always get out first. And I remember turning to my friends being like, hey, guys, watch this. 
Doug's out, and I'm going to get him. And so I picked up a ball. And if you know me, um, I played soccer for a reason. I can't throw worth a darn, okay? I'm terrible at it. But I picked this ball up with Doug out without Doug looking, and I'm, you know, 15 feet, and I huck it as hard as I can at his face. And without him even seeing, he just, just tags him right across the face. He drops to the ground, cries, and I laugh. I laugh. And I have that little feeling inside of me where it's like, oh, man, that, that was bad. But be- I didn't want my friends to see because I wanted to be cool. I remember the first time I shared that story, I was leading a high school group in youth ministry, and it happened to share it a week prior to my 10-year anniversary, just to help with the math guys. I didn't graduate high school two years ago, okay? Um, and, uh, one of my, and I said one of the things I was really excited about is that Doug was actually on the RSVP list. He was going to be there, and so I would be able to ask him for forgiveness for this. And so I went to Doug, and I asked him for forgiveness, and he's like, oh, man, don't, I appreciate it. Don't worry about it. I didn't, I didn't care. Like, it's totally fine, and I don't even know if he remembered it, but but it was ingrained in my heart. And I think the reason why it was done there is, is twofold. One is I think what the enemy loves to do is remind me just how bad and ugly left on my own of a person I am, right? And maybe you didn't throw a dodgeball at someone's face. So maybe right now you're like, well, I was never that bad. But you had your own sinful, ugly, broken parts. So that story, as bad as it is, you know what it does that's so beautiful for me is it reminds me just how far God's brought me. And see, if we don't pay attention to who we were in Christ, if we don't acknowledge who we were before Christ, I feel like we, we lose the sweetness to what it really means to have Christ. See, we're all gross and, and sinful. Romans 3 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. You, me, This is why it's so comical when those outside of the church are like, well, you Christians, you're just sinners. It's like, you're right. Man, I am the worst of them. In fact, the apostle Paul even lays himself out like, I am, I do the things I don't want to do, right? We, we, We know this. And so we have to understand the gravity and the pain of what we are before Christ. We are hostile to God. We are, we are meandering in opposition of him. We are doing what the world desires. We are seeing this. Now, this is where this is really hard is that those of you that have brothers or sisters or family members or friends that don't know Jesus and understanding right now that they are meandering to the power of the world and underneath the dominion of Satan. And that's just like, oh, that hurts to say. But if we don't believe or acknowledge that, then the next very verse, the most two most beautiful words in this entire section don't mean what they, they're meant to mean. So you need to come to grips with the fact that you before Christ, you left on your own without God, are not that good. In fact, you're just downright evil. And maybe your evil isn't Taliban level or murderer level or rapist level, but it is evil. This is, this is the most amazing thing about this next sentence. Before we move on, I want to just sit in this. Do you guys understand just how sinful we are. Do you understand? Just, I, I, I'm assuming, I'm just going to go on an assumption that I bet you guys acknowledge that and know that because you see the sins that you're capable of doing even today in Christ. <coughs> we're, we are death, disobedience, giving to fleshly desires, children, of wrath. It is a bleak, bleak outcome. Thankfully, 
the Apostle Paul doesn't end there. It's like, well, have a good day. See you later. Now, the two most beautiful words, but God. But God. See, this is, this, is, this is why I think the Apostle Paul is trying to suck the air out of the room as the believers in Ephesus are reading this. Like, wow, we're not there. Not only is he trying to remind them that it's not a Jew or a Gentile or, or a class. It's not like I didn't do as much as this person or that person, but God. You know, Solomon, the, the wisest person ever to live, right? You, go, you can read it in, in, um, in the Bible. Solomon goes on this this bent of like, I tried money and it didn't work. I tried wisdom and it didn't work. I tried building buildings and it didn't work. And then he ends the sentence with, I gave myself to whatever I wanted. And I've come to the conclusion that there is nothing in this world of value. There's nothing that brings about truth or joy or love. He was empty because he gave himself to every desire. Solomon had the means to literally give himself to anything he wanted. And he did it. He says he did it, every single thing. And he just realized that this world has nothing. And before Christ, you and I were meandering, looking for truth. We're meandering, looking for what has value. In Christ, we see that there's that value. In Christ, we see that there is truth. In Christ, we can now see clearly what we were incapable of seeing before because we were meandering on the course that was set before us, that was in place. But God... If you've told your story to someone that doesn't know Jesus ever, you've said something. Ah, I used to do this. I used to do that. But God. But God. I was a, a jerk to people because I thought it meant you had to be a jerk to be popular. But God. I was a rapist, but God. I was a murderer, but God. Do you know what's amazing about those two words? is that it applies to anyone in Christ. It applies to you. So as you settle into this, oh, I cannot believe who I was apart from Christ, and as the airs feel sucked out of the room, you gotta, you gotta realize that this whole structure of this long sentence is, is pivoted on these two words. But God. So what does he say? So on. But God. <laughs> Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. He loved you. I, I challenge you on this uh, to not overdo this in the first chapter, but, but whenever it says that Christ did something, what he did for us or where it's in this place, insert your name. I, I want to encourage you to do it here. But Christ, or but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved Bren. That love... And here's the best part of love. He didn't say, well, you know, Bren, I know your story a little bit. You were, you were intrigued by me. And so you started, like, looking into things. And so you started making some better choices. You were being a little bit generous with your money. You started, you started being nicer to people. You weren't as aggressive all the time. And, and so because of that, I started liking you a lot. And then I fell in love with you. And then I was like, you know what? I need to save Bren because he's going to do much for my kingdom. No, that is not what he does. He doesn't say, you know what? Oh, but you know what? I, I, I know how bad you are, Bren, but I really love this future version of you that I'm going to create. And that's who I love. I love, I love the Bren that, that 30 years, 40 years, 50 years down the road, I love that Bren. No, any of that either. In fact, he said, I'm going to read that first sentence again. 
right after but God. I want you guys to really hammer that one in there. Okay, it's a big but. Ha ha, funny joke, right? I want you to really rest on that, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved. Now put your name in there. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were at our worst, dead in our sins, wallowing, meandering in the world, even when we couldn't be any more dead. It's been said a ton of times by many pastors, you weren't in the hospital sick, you were in the morgue before Christ. There was not a breath of life in you before Christ. Yeah, you were moving, you were breathing, but you weren't existing. You weren't alive. And how do we know that? Not only physically is he saying that, but he's also talking here spiritually. He says, dead in your trespasses, made us, made Brent alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up, raised us up with him and Jesus Christ and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ Jesus because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. It's by grace we've been saved. In grace you've been saved. And just in case you were confused, he goes on and says, says um, so that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So, so basically, in future we're going to see this amazing amount of grace because of what Christ Jesus did by saving us while we were dead. In case you're, in case you're missing it, he goes on, don't worry. He says, um, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. What's not your own doing? Your faith isn't even your own doing. You being saved isn't your own doing. We've already talked about this in the first chapter. You've been adopted. You've been, you've been, you've been, created, you've been given an inheritance because you've been predestined. You've been chosen by God. It is a gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Just in case you're wondering, but it is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So, so what's, what's hinged, what's pivoting, what's kind of teetering on this but God is that God is, gr- is rich in mercy. He has is, he is breathed life into us through his mercy and his grace and he's given it to us as a gift. It's a gift. It's ours. It's been given to you and, and you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We don't deserve this gift. But God loves us. And so in his kindness, in the coming ages, we can see the immeasurable amount of grace that was given to us. It's going to give him so much glory when we understand just what he's done to its full completion for us. It's almost like God's reworking everything like he promised to do. Hey, it was all perfect in the garden. I'm rewriting what was wronged by sin I'm bringing it back because I love because I'm rich in mercy because I lavish grace because I gift faith this is this is why I think it's somewhat ludicrous for us sometimes when we're like oh I just wish I had more faith it's like it's a gift I mean like I, I've played this through my own life and maybe this isn't like this is kind of extra but I'll go there either way if someone gave you a 
a new car for Christmas. Like, hey, you got a new car. Here's your, here's your brand new car. Enjoy it. And you're like, oh, that is such a great car. That's awesome. I was kind of hoping for the one with this option. Can we take it back? You drive it for a year. You're like, ah, you know what? I was really hoping that it just wouldn't get any miles on it. <coughs> and your, your faith has been given to you. It's a gift from God. And, and, and when we ask for more faith, it's almost like he says, you, you have it. Just obey it. Live in it. Walk in it. Let the Spirit lead you in this. It's, it's very hard for me in this scripture because I want to go to a billion and a half applications. But like I, I told you, the first three chapters of Ephesians are really not about like applications. It's about us remembering. It's understanding. It's the revelation of our heart like we heard in last week, right? It's this, it's this new understanding and recognition of what God's doing. And, and I really believe there's, there's a couple things. And so I'm gonna walk to some applications. We're gonna close up here. But cu- a couple things I think are very important for us to understand in this. First off, it's, 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 it's drastically and incredibly important that we understand just who we are before Christ. Because am I not right? Am I not right? That first moment, maybe some of you have to blow some serious cobwebs off when this moment happened. But when you finally understood God's grace for you and you surrendered your life to him, was it not the most amazing, beautiful, freeing feeling ever? Because you realize in an instant, it didn't matter what you did or have done because you are no longer seen by that. You're seen by what Christ has done for you on the cross. And you realize you don't deserve it. It's just so good. You want everyone else to experience it. Like, you have no idea how much freedom this is. Some of you, you experience this with friends right now. You see them walking in and out and struggling, and you're like, you just need hope. And they're like, I don't see any hope, and I don't, I don't like you Christians. And I, they throw all these different statements out, but, but you go, no, you're, you're missing the point. The point is, it's not, it's not what I did. It's not what I'm doing. It's not what I'm capable of. It's what he has done. But, but here's, a, here's another just small application. Don't get mad at me for going to an application in this text, okay? Small application. If you were once dead and now are made alive, just out of curiosity, how should we be living? Dead or alive? Alive, right. Good. You guys are so good at this stuff now. I'm so proud of you. So then this begs the question, and why do sometimes in our lives we choose death? We, 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 all, we all have this flesh that until we get our completely new bodies, we aren't going to be free from it. So I understand the battle. The Apostle Paul lays out this battle with himself. And I understand this. But I think a lot of times our battle has little to do with what someone else is doing and more to do with the fact that we're just not remembering what we were and who we are. Before Christ, we were, we were okay with being complete jerks. Before Christ, it's totally fine to just waylay someone that disagrees with you. In Christ, that's not life. Before Christ, it was, it was, it's absolutely normal to give yourself to every single desire, whether it's alcohol or sexual or anything. Like, it's, it makes sense. But in Christ, that's not who we are. We're alive. We're no longer dead. That's all I'm going to say about that because we have lots of application for that in the next, the last three chapters when we get there. I I encourage you guys to do two things with this this week. This this is it. I encourage you to to remember who you were, but, but hear me on this. This is important. This is so, so important. Like, look at me, pay attention. 
not so you can feel shame or guilt. Shame and guilt is from the enemy. It's a lie. God does not treat us shamefully. If we are his, he will not forsake us. But that you would remember who you were before him and then you would acknowledge what he's done in you and he's doing in you. And you'd see who you're capable of being in him. But it's really important, and this is the kind of the, the tie-in, that between those two realities, you remember that his love is not contingent on what you do or don't do in life. His love was why we were dead. You've already received all the love you can receive from him. And it just keeps getting poured out and poured out and poured out. And it's more than enough. And you cannot do anything to gain more of that. He loves you. He loved you when you were so sinful and gross and dead. And now you're alive. And you're alive for a purpose. And we'll get into that as we get through the, the book of Ephesians. But, but one of the, the, the reasons is because he loves us. What, what the Apostle Paul continues to remind us in this is that as he's doing this, it's for some future glory. So we're going to understand some future idea that, that the fact that me, Brent, is alive is showing just how immeasurable God's grace is for me. The fact that I can even experience life knowing what I was capable of and who I was before helps me see that I can, I can know and live in righteousness because of what he's done for us. So as you look back at who you were and you then now see who you are, don't let the guilt or shame come in because we just go back to read chapter one, freedom, right? We got freedom. But really rest in it. And I mean sit in it. Like plunk yourself down like you do into a, like a ridiculous like beanbag chair that's not that comfortable but you just hope it's gonna be, you know, like you just fall back in and it just kind of sucks you in and you can't get up. That's the seat you need with Christ where you're just immersed in that seat and you realize now he has brought life to you. He has gifted you life and you're not looking for an upgrade. You're not just gonna replace the phone next year. This isn't like that. It's not like, okay, Jesus 2.0 is really, really awesome. Although I guess theologically there is gonna be a Jesus. No, either way, he's gonna come back. I get it, okay. But until that day, we have everything we need. We have the Holy Spirit gifted to us. We have the inheritance with every single spiritual blessing. And we get all of that, not as a work of our own. It's like God's recreating the garden all over again. And he's leading his people right back into it and saying, this is what I'm doing. And us, the us is those that have surrendered their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're a part of that. Not because he thought, oh man, that person is going to be awesome for my kingdom. They're going to do so much for me. No, it's because he loved you. He chose you. He adopted you. You're co-heir with Christ. You're seated with him. You've been dead with him. That's why baptism is so beautiful, is that we, we acknowledge our death by going into the water, and we come out of the death like Christ came out of the tomb, and we walk in a newness of life. And, and Paul goes one step further and says, oh, and just in case you're wondering, you get seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's pretty awesome. You're not only going to get to walk around this world new, but you get to be seated with Christ as a co-heir to his kingdom, to his purposes, to his will. That band's going to come up and we're going to worship some more. And I encourage you, I, I plead with you, like I believe the Apostle Paul is, is to, one, I think we can say, 
acknowledge maybe the areas in our lives that we're still giving to death and sin. Maybe it takes us looking back at just how dead we were. It's like, I think of the Monty Python, like, I'm not dead yet. It's like, no, you're really dead. Like, there's not, this wasn't like a mistake, okay? Like, you are really, really dead. But in Christ, you're alive. And now that you're alive, and now that you're alive, we're gonna see what he does to that, and it's such a beautiful picture over the next few chapters. But now that you're alive, like, sit in that. Rest in that. What that will do is it'll do a few things. It'll change for us a few things. First off, it'll change the way, we, the way we view other people. It'll change the way that we view those that are in Christ. Not that we can look down on them, but that we can start understanding, well, how could they do such horrible things? Well, I mean, they're meandering, all right? They're walking along with the world and the culture and just doing what the world asks of them because that's where they are. They are lost. They don't see it. They are dead. And it is our prayer and our role to, to pray for them, to be light in this dark, dark world. It'll also help you think about those that are in Christ in a different way, too. See, because if you have a hard time with another follower of Jesus, and I, mean, I don't really like that person at all, and maybe they're doing some really poor decisions or making some really mis- big mistakes. I, I understand that. That's great. It's not great, but, but it'll help you understand that, that who they were before Christ was way worse. And maybe right now they're just, they're just forgetting that. And this is where you, through scripture and love and grace and truth, point them back to who they are in Christ. And you walk with them in that. We pray, God, you um, reminded me immensely how, uh, how broken and messed up I was before you, God. Forgive me for at times for thinking like, ah, I didn't do it that bad. I wasn't as bad as some of the other people. God, forgive me for at times like idolizing people's testimonies where they were just so bad. God, we were all dead. I was dead. Every single person in this room either is or was dead. And it's because of your work and what you're doing, God, that we were made alive. We were, we were created in, into a new image in Christ with new minds, new desires, new will, new purposes. And that is a work of you and you alone. So God, I pray for every single individual that says and and has acknowledged you as Lord and Savior, God, that you would help them rest in the life that they have been given. You'd help them to live that life that they've been given, God. God, for the individuals in this room that are just either beat up, angry, or frustrated with you, or maybe they just don't claim you at all, um, God, I, I I just pray that you would enlighten their hearts, that you would open up their minds, You'd help them see what truth is. You'd help them understand that they cannot, like Solomon, there is nothing in this world that will bring value. It is you and you alone. And as you enter into our lives, God, you start instituting your value through your kingdom as it breaks down here on earth as we pray for it to be as it is in heaven, Lord. We praise you for the work you're doing in us. I thank you for making me alive. God, I pray for my family and friends and individuals that are still dead. God, I pray that we would not Um, write them off in a way that we forget to pray for them, that we would not miss out on opportunities where you're asking us to be light for them. And Father, for those of us that are made alive, that are alive today because of what you've done, would you help us sit in that? Would you help us actually walk, not just meander in that, Lord? May we never lose sight of what you have done for us 
what you're doing for us and what you continue to do um, in and through us for your glory and your glory alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.